0: Hello, you are listening to Maghreb in Past and Present Podcasts, a space dedicated to history, politics, art, culture, sociology, anthropology, and many other subjects. This episode was recorded via Zoom on the 19th of June, 2023, at the Centre d'études maghrébines à Tunis, CEMAT. podcast, we welcome art historian, publisher, and curator, Murad Montezami, who discusses his recent exhibit at the Tate St. Ives Museum, presenting a lecture entitled The Casablanca Art School, Platforms and Patterns for a Post-Colonial Avant-Garde.
1: I'm very happy to be with you because I know that your group already gave way to a lot of interesting uh, discussions and gatherings and podcasts. I'm also very happy to be now part of it. And also in order to try to intercross our different research, focusing on North African modernisms and art histories, but also beyond, I guess. So let me first begin with a broad visual track of the Tate St. Ives exhibition, as if we were just going through it, to give you the visual landscape to all of this. So this is the list of the artists exhibited when you enter the first room of the show. And the list of artists is very important because it's containing our approach to the Casablanca Art School with the basic idea that we didn't want to look at it as, you could say, a group, because a group as such would mean something probably more coherent and cohesive than what their collective experience happened to be. So we rather talk about a constellation or a network, simply, instead of a group. And by referring to a constellation or a network, we tend also to acknowledge a kind of temporally and geographically widespread collective activities, which never happened under the same number of artists or under the same initial manifesto but actually happened through a multiplicity of protagonists, either Moroccan and non-Moroccan, and especially through a variable number of people grouping with each other, sometimes six artists, sometimes 15 artists, sometimes more than that, and also going back and forth between the local and the global since the beginning of the 60s until the end of the 80s. So because of the widespread and very multiple and layered connections and groupings that existed, we rather talk about a constellation or a network of artists. And again, also include a few non-Moroccan who happened to be Herbert Bayer, the famous figure from the Bauhaus School, Carla Accardi, famous Italian abstract painter, and also two artists who are Moroccan, like Shaibia and Ahmed Shachkawi, who are almost never interrelated with the Casablanca Art School history, but we had our reasons to connect them. And we consider them like unfinished dialogues, as we will see through the course of the show. So the first room, beginning with a statement display of the core trio, who were Melehi, Belkahia, and Sheba, who are exhibited next to each other with very discrepant aesthetics from figurative to clearly abstract to kind of semi-abstract, which is Shabba, in between the figurative practice of Belkahia and the more abstract practice of Melehi, because Shabba was more expressive of this non-decision, of this non-binary relationship between figurative and abstract, so a kind of semi-abstraction, or discrepant abstraction, as we could call it. And in the same room, there is also a vitrine showing the activities under the first Moroccan director of the school, who was not Farid Belkahia, but Maurice Arama. And since almost no one knows about what Maurice Arama did for one year and a half before Farid Belkahia's arrival in 1962, we wanted to have a small vitrine showing how Maurice Arama paved the way for some of the school's post-colonial innovations, as Maurice Arama is still alive and he could share his archive with us. And another surprise, our unexpected guest is André Elbaz, who you see his collages from beginning 60s. André Elbaz is a Moroccan artist who left Morocco really early, but was hired by Belkahia. He was the first artist kind of hired by Belkahia for his first year as a director of the school, but he stayed only for one year. And it was interesting to see that he practiced collage with an extensive practice of collage during that time. While, you know, there's not a lot of them who really explored collage. though so he's quite of an exception. And Ahmed Sherkawi here is on a yellow wall because it's the concept I was telling you about of the unfinished dialogues, which are the artists who were clearly not connected to the Casablanca Art School, but for an inspirational or mentorship or genealogic reason came into dialogue with them at some point or represented something important for them. So that's why these artists are displayed on a yellow wall, unlike all the other works in the exhibition. And then following the first introduction room, which was the sheer beginning 60s and Farid Belkahia's arrival as a director in 62, you have a room referring to a student annual exhibition of 1968, which means that... Belkahia was here for six years already, and Melehi and Shaba were arrived for four years already. So the 1968 student annual exhibition will become a great platform for expressing these first years of pedagogy, of new radical pedagogy breaking with the more Western and fine art rules that prevailed before in the school, which was very progressive, I have to say. We can come back to this issue, but the break between a more Western-oriented fine art school and a post-colonial radical new pedagogy was not made in a day and was progressive even after the arrival of al-kahya Sheba and Melehit. So this room, which we consider a platform, as there are several platforms all throughout the show, is about their most renowned students, those who really made their way even after they came out of school, and the first teachers who additioned to Belkah Yashaba in Melehi, who you can see here, for example, with Mohammed Hamidi and Mohammed Atalla, who were part of the first fellow professors brought by the court Trio. And here, of the students, the ceramics of Abdelrahman Rahul, which was really a rare example of a ceramic work done by a student in the 60s that we could find, so we were very happy to have them. And there's a kind of scenography behind it with a large-scale reproduction of one of the painted walls of this 1968 student exhibitions. The other students exhibited in this room who uh, we have the chance to have met because they're younger, so most of them are still alive, even if some of them still died recently, like Hossein Miloudi with the black and white work, and some of them still alive, like Malika Agaznai, who is in the middle here with the green and blue work, who happened to be one of the rare women To have not only studied, but to have made a career after her studies until today, she's still active. She will still have a new solo exhibition in a few months in Casablanca. And Mustafa Hafid as part of the new staff. These are the ceramics of Abdelrahman Rahul. We don't have a lot of sculptures and we don't have a lot of artists practicing sculpture around that time and around the school for some reason that I can't really explain to myself. So it was important to have Rahul, which ceramics are reminders of not only Moroccan tradition, but very similar even to Japanese ceramics or even Italian and other Mediterranean traditions of ceramics. They're not kind of Moroccan per se in their aesthetics and shape. And then there's another platform, which is another room for the Jama-Efna Square exhibition, the famous named Plastic Presence Manifesto exhibition that most of us made reference to in our articles when it comes to North African and global Southern modernism, because it became a kind of landmark for this street exhibition of 1969, bringing together the core trio and the three other fellow professors, new teachers of the school, Hafid, Hamidi, and Atala. So here you have a work in copper of Belkahia. The work that we have in this room are not the same works that were exhibited on the Jama'a-Efna square of Marrakesh and on the 16 November square of Casablanca two weeks after, between May and June 69 but their work from the same period and sometimes from the same year, so end of 60s, and very much equivalent in terms of the patterns of the works that were present on the square in 69. Here you have a dialogue between Mohamed Melehi on the left and Mohamed Atalla on the right, with very rare paintings by Mohamed Atalla, who left Morocco in 72 for always, He never returned to Morocco and had a very overshadowed and marginal trajectory and is rarely referenced anywhere while his estate and family are available and there's a lot of work. So Mohammed Atalla is definitely an artist on whom you can build new scholarship and new research because there is resource, but nobody really researched about him and his family and estate are in Paris and works from Hamidi and from Mohammed Shabba that are comparable in scale and pattern to the works on the Jamaifna Square. We had a large video footage of the Casablanca venue in '69 that was filmed by someone, and we could bring this footage to the room in order to make it more lively. And then after that, there is what we call the patterns. So some of the rooms are called platforms because they refer to an event or to an exhibition or a moment. And some of the rooms are called patterns because they refer to some of the sources of of inspiration and the relation to a kind of deep-rooted geometric tradition, for instance, in Amazir arts or Amazir or Berber, depending how you call it, artistic tradition, so pre-Islamic, and very much important to Bert Flint and Tony Maraini, who became the two kind of minds of the school and providing the artists with grassroots and fieldwork research about all the visual culture of the Amazir arts, from the tapestry to the jewel making, to the painted ceilings of very small and marginal mosques in the great south or in the High Atlas. So you have a large-scale wood relief by Mohammed Sheba, which is a reminder to this tradition, also in its relief plasticity, because some of the works were even commissioned by a group of architects, Farawi and de Masier, who began to commission the Casablanca Art School to make panels and large-scale relief works for the hotels of the region of Marrakesh, which they considered integrated arts. You have a carpet that we borrowed from the Musée Yves Saint Laurent, Musée Majorelle from Marrakech, which is, you know, one of the major collections of Amazigh arts, to whom Bert Flint donated 700 carpets, 700 rugs that Bert Flint had collected from 1955 until his death. Unfortunately, Bert Flint left us not even two years ago, but he had donated 700 rugs to the Musée Majorelle of Marrakech. And one of them is like a fetish for that research of ours, because it's the carpet used as a detail on the cover of the first Maghreb art journal, which was the school internal research report published three issues between 1965 and 1968. And in front of it, you have two works, one painting by Melehi on the left, and one total surprise, the last work that we could find not even two three months before the opening is this astonishing textile woven mural work on textile by Anna Doros Hafid. And Anna Dros Hafid is Mustafa Hafid's Polish wife, Mustafa Hafid from the Jana Square artist, and Anna Dros Hafid, who became his wife when they met in Poland. You know that a lot of Moroccan artists didn't only travel to Paris or to Rome, but also to Warsaw, just like Ahmed Sherkawi and other ones like Mustafa Hafid. A lot of Moroccan filmmakers, of course, went to Poland. And Mustafa Hafid basically came back to Morocco with his new wife, who was an artist, Anna Dros, then becoming Anadros Hafid. And Anadros opened a weaving and textile studio in the Casablanca Art School in 1972, probably most probably between 72 and 74. Unfortunately, this is a part of research that we didn't reach yet because we couldn't find any photo or any archival trace of Anna Dros, Hafid textile workshop at the Casablanca Art School but she testified she explained it to us and we are very lucky at least to have this very unexpected work of her in the exhibition it's a work from the beginning of the 80s actually so later than the other ones, but still from the 20th century. And there are a few small drawings also from the beginning of the 80s from Hossein Miloudi, which we saw previously in the students. There's also a collection of this vintage print photograph of Melehi taking the jewels collected by Bert Flint, the Amazir jewels, and giving them a much more objective and much more modernist context, which is a black background, which can appear as something very mundane. But if you think about it, the Amazir jewels are never shown like this, especially at this time. The only way you can see photographs of jewels are in an ethnographic context, on the woman in either ethnographic or touristic iconography and imagery. At that period of time, it's extremely rare to take these jewels on photo on a black background for their sheer objective, geometric, and artistic creativity and value. Again, totally non-ethnographic context. And this is a sheer statement in itself as a photographic practice for Melehi. That's why we resized one of them bigger in order to make this relationship with the microscopic patterns of the jewels more obvious and expressive And some other works related to this idea of creating artworks for a building, mostly hotels, but also banks or theater halls and other public infrastructures or semi-public infrastructures in which Belkahia, Melehi, Sheba and other ones, even Carla Accardi, the Italian artist, was invited to Create one of these panels in a hotel that still exists in Tangiers. You can see here one of these is the work of Farid Belkahia, again, a work in relief, but in copper and large scale. And also the plastic sculptures of Mohammed Atallah next to it, which he called Thermoforme, as a plastic material mural sculpture in a way that he also designed both for his own optical strategies and exhibitions and for these. Commissions in the hotels of Farawi and Demazier, which was this important architect studio. Here you can see one of the maquettes of one of these hotels built by Farawi and Demazier next to silk print work by Hamid Alawi. Actually, these four silk prints by Alawi were integrated in the hotels, they were extracted from one of these hotels. And next to it, the work in green and red is Carla Accardi, the Italian artist who spent a lot of time in Morocco during the 70s. And for some reason, even in international scholarship and art history about Carla Accardi, it's kind of never mentioned. The whole time she spent in Casablanca and Marrakech during the 70s, honestly, is quite unknown. To every art historian. And again, like for André Albaz or for Maurice Arama or for Anna Dros Hafid, there's a whole research that could be made with fresh material and fresh research on Carla Acardi's relation to Morocco. Here we integrate the graphic design dimension with Mohammed Sheba's very striking abstractions, hyper complex, I would say, abstractions, opposite to Melehi's very minimalist impulse of the wave that Melehi repeated intentionally in a very minimalist or in a kind of simple compositions. On the contrary, you have Mohammed Sheba who would rather go for a very complex set of calculations and geometric setup. In general, his patterns are never simple. They're always over intermingled, and complex pattern making in shabbat that's already a challenge i would say for human subjectivity they often even feel like almost computer like compositions in a way like algorithm so these works are very emblematic also because they use the cellulosic paint the industrial paint that feels so soft and so shiny opposed to you know acrylic or oil of course and the cellulosic paint that shaba and melehi particularly began to use at the beginning of the 70s was a clear statement of all the car and industrial workshops that existed in Casablanca surrounding their own workshops. Like Melehi took a workshop that was in the middle of car reparation workshops and worker environment who would use this paint on the cars especially to paint the cars with the airbrush paint technique and using stencil technique. So the graphic design wall that we propose in the show is a reunion of Melehi and Sheba graphic design contribution. Melehi had opened the Shuf graphic design studio, actually working even beyond graphic design. And Mohammed Sheba had opened the Studio 400. So both of them had their graphic designer and scenographer activity and typographer and logo making activity. And sometimes they also come together like working at four hands on one logo or one poster. I mean, of course, during the time of the journal Souffle or the journal Intégral, which means the mid 60s to the mid 70s, they work collaboratively even if they also separate at some point, as some of you might know from a certain political perspective, which separates them, but they also work on a lot of them at forehands. So of course, all of these posters and logos and books that are all designed by them create a very international and transnational landscape because you have Mohammed Shabazz's poster in solidarity with Chile's revolution, with Angola's independence, with Palestinian resistance, and also more local and national artistic network and solidarities through these journals and posters, which are mainly reprinted. The material that you see here on this wall is not original. It's mainly coming from high-definition photos and reproductions of all this material to be then reprinted, and often reprinted around the same size of the original, with some exceptions, because some of the book cover are so beautiful that you can't resist to make them bigger. And then there's another platform of the Baghdad Biennale, because now we came out of the patterns, which were the Amazir arts, the integrated arts, and the graphic design, and we re with the next platform, which is the Baghdad Biennale. The Baghdad Biennale with similar works are even sometimes extremely close to the ones you see here, from Mohammed Sheba, again here, or from Miloud Labied, or Saad Ben Shefaj, or Farid Belkaria, who was actually the curator of the Moroccan delegation of the Baghdad Biennale in 74. These two actually were hung in the Baghdad Biennale, the exact same works that were included in 1974 in Iraq. It's on the left, Abdelkrim Qatas, And on the right, Mustafa Hafid. So we had the chance to have at least two, which were literally hung there. And the Baghdad biennale, I can't be very long about it because it deserves a whole conference for itself, of course. But the Moroccan delegation of that Biennal was mainly the Casablanca Art School Network or Constellation, probably the larger one. Because they were fourteen artists gathering from Morocco, from that same network, and it's the largest number of, you know, of that constellation that ever grouped together. So it's an important event. And after the Baghdad Biennale, four years later is the inauguration of the first Asila Festival, actually the Asila Cultural Festival or Musem, as it was called which was co-founded by Mohamed Melehi and Mohamed Ben Aissa. And we probably should also add Tony Maraini, who had more than a key role also in the foundation of the Asila Festival. And again here by 78, it's the last room of the show. So the last platform we tell the story with, with dialogue of Malika Agheznai and Mohamed Melehi on this kind of landscape-ish abstraction that doesn't really Exhaust the geometry, but survives the landscape through it, which is often explicitly referenced as the night landscape and moon rising in Asila, in the sky of Asila, from Melehi's work, or the sea in Asila, which almost feels like an island in a way, in Malika Agesnai's nice, kind of wavy and water-like abstraction, or more abstract work, like this large wave and over layers of very striking colors by Mohammed Melehi, still using the cellulosic paint in reference to industrial workers. And we also had this uh, skin work by Farid Belkahia. As you know, Belkahia was working on skin work already since the 70s, but here it also has this nice dialogue with two other artists who were also in Asila, Mohamed Kasimi and Fuad Belamin, not only because they were in Asila, but also because... The last venue or platform that we consider as valuable for the history of this network is the Sao Paulo Biennial of 87. And the Sao Paulo Biennial will be a Moroccan representation by four artists, Melehi, Belkahia, Kasimi and Belamin, which almost end the show. There's also Shaibia, the very famous self-taught Moroccan woman artist, sometimes considered naive painter or painting or outsider art, which is all of these colonial categories that somehow should be debunked and criticized. So probably self-taught is the only one that is acceptable, instead of speaking of naive or outsider artists but uh, as a very interesting and also unexpected encounter or connection, since she could appear as the extreme opposite to everything that the Casablanca Art School stood for, which is kind of abstract geometry or kind of radical abstraction or, you know, similar to Western abstraction, which she was not because she was going with figurative shapes and very popular like iconography, almost childish compositions and figures, seemingly at least. But in reality, she was really empowering Moroccan women's artists through her art and practice in a way that was acknowledged by the Casablanca Art School artists, since there are mentions by Belkahia and Sheba in the Souffle Journal that they are interested by the so-called naive painters. And they are also critical of this category in some interviews of 1967 in the visual arts issue of the journal Souffle, in which they say that actually some of these artists like Shaibia or like Louardiri, or like Fatima Hassan or like Drissi can be considered as local storytellers and holders of a real tradition that goes back to miniature painting so they had a much more refined view about these artists than one could think and they didn't really oppose to them and as a matter of fact they invited Shaibia to create a mural in the second edition of the Asila festival and Shaibia took part In the collective creation of Asila's mural, which included the children and the women of Asila to create and to cooperate with all the muralists that were invited to invest the walls of the houses. And that's why she is included in this last room of the exhibition, but with a yellow background going with this concept of the unfinished dialogue. Or connections with unexpected artists international or Moroccan. So this is for the exhibition um, kind of visual track. So now given everything we saw I'm going to try to draw a few perspectives based on archival images that will give more context to everything I just said and maybe also with more a uh, historical perspective. So for example you have a few film stills from a TV documentary done between 1961 and 1962 in the Casablanca Art School building. And it's the time between Maurice Arama's rejection and Farid Belkahia's arrival. And you can clearly see a transition. For example, all the Greco-Roman busts and Greco-Roman sculptures that the students actually play with. They put some funny hats on the heads of these Greco-Roman busts. They're the previously and traditionally admitted iconography or pedagogic reference and models that were in that school that was founded in colonial time during the French protectorate in the 1920s and which didn't include Moroccan students even for a long time, obviously. But it's interesting that, you know, they're still there. And even the now kind of more famous idea that Melehi and Shaba and Belkaria will replace the Greco-Roman busts by Amazigh carpets was not done in a day. It was a progressive process. Other images from this TV documentary shows the student in front of Michelangelo's replicas, Michelangelo's statues of the slaves, the famous slaves of Michelangelo from Florence Museum in Italy, and from the Louvre collection as well. So Maurice Arama would actually take on loan some replicas of Egyptian sculpture and art that he considered part of the African continent for Egyptology and Egyptian art. So you can also see them studying Egyptian hieroglyph and classic Egyptian painting and sculpture, thanks to Maurice Arama's connection with France, since he could even take some replicas of the famous statues of the Louvre to use them in the Casablanca Art School. And here you can see some of these Egyptian replicas of traditional Egyptian sculptures, and also the outside of the building of the school, and the title frame of this TV documentary done in 1962 called Le Maroc en Marche, which means Morocco Forward, École Nationale des Beaux-Arts. And it's directed by Ahmed Mesnaoui, and it's just a few minutes footage. And here, for example, you see photos of the students in position, because some of the nudes and some of the human scale modeling and reference, as you can see behind the student, will come to be superimposed or coexisting with the more radical geometric aesthetic, as you can see in the other works in these photos. Within the same context, there is a clear coexistence of the more Western and classical colonial fine art model and the more innovative and post-colonial reappropriation of geometric abstraction, which all statement for Melehi, Sheba and Belkahia, as you might already know, was that geometric abstraction couldn't be considered a Western product since the majority of the local and pre-Islamic and Amazigh arts and culture are geometric. And therefore, we have our own right to geometry making and pattern making, even beyond a Western art reference, because we belong and we are also rooted in this very geometric and very abstract-like tradition, not only of Amazigh arts, but also of most of the Islamic arts. And these are another kind of coexistence because the easel painting model, which Sheba particularly fought with, because Sheba wrote a whole essay in 1965 that he published alongside the first exhibition of the trio against easel painting and to overcome the model of easel painting. But at the same time, you also have Tony Maraini who gave her the first modern art history course ever in Morocco, but referencing the African continent because we can see what she has drawn on the blackboard behind her. And she's talking to the students about their belonging to the African continent and how modern art history by connecting to prehistory and even to prehistoric cave drawings and iconography can overcome the colonial affiliation by working on how to bridge the modern or the contemporary and the pre-colonial, basically. And these were things that were coexisting, again, with easel painting that was fought with in ideas, but it's not in one day that Sheba would come in the studios and just take the easel painting or the easels from the studios. It was not like this. It was progressive. And also the fact that Melehi would take the students out of the school or on the roof of the school, because it's not the same thing to paint inside or to paint outside, obviously. And it will not bring to the same experiment like painting on the floor or developing kind of performative or gestural painting practice, of course, when you come out of the studio, when you get more space and more relation with the outside of the school, and basically also in order to connect with the surrounding and with the social space, obviously. Other images of Melehi taking his students, including Malika Agesnai. again, another contradiction. She still holds her easel painting with a kind of more abstract and radical composition on the canvas that holds to the easel. And in a lot of photos that we were able to collect throughout all these years, because this research began in 2014 for me, so we're talking about almost 10 years of research somehow to collect all this material, showed that the students were also very much inspired by Melehi and Sheba and Belkahia's work. You can find a lot of patterns of Melehi or Belkahia or Sheba clearly kind of repeated or experimented by the students when it becomes more calligraphic coming from Mohammed Shabah Studio, who was the one who brought the whole thinking or rethinking of calligraphic and post-calligraphic compositions and practice to the extent of creating an Arabic typography, which is even another step beyond the post-calligraphic practice to be able to turn it into a typographic or a font for the students who were Promised not to all become artists, but to also become graphic designers and integrate Moroccan society's economy and new development and modernization through a very much more diverse range of arts and craft than strictly being artists or visual artists, which is the vision defended by them, that the students should also develop beyond the artist's sheer definition, but work in All fields of Moroccan society and economy where graphic design or visual culture or letter making or pattern making can be relevant to creating a new visual culture could be implemented in in so many different sectors of Moroccan society. And these are a collection of rugs for the most famous ones because they were printed in the Maghreb Art Journal game that they published between 65 and 68. And also these photos, very interesting in terms of this more grassroots inspiration, but also demonstration of how abstract art didn't belong only to the Western countries, is the Casablanca shops and the uh, facade, which become decorated by their owners, and Melehi would just photograph them, as a matter of record of Casablanca's shops and drugstores' creativity or how they were painted and decorated in their facade by their owners. These are the painted ceiling collection of photos recorded by Fint and Mohamed Melehi, and that will become, with the rugs and with the jewels and with other reference, The painted ceilings also become of the most important reference in order to rethink and reverse all of this relationship to modern abstraction or radical abstraction and where it comes from and where it belongs to. You know, for the fascination of Melehi and Flint facing the dazzling creativity of these patterns made by very marginal decorator and craftsmen who were the same worshippers of these very small mosques where you could find these painted ceilings, and who were people who didn't know anything about Paul Klee or Vasily Kandinsky, but still created patterns that would remind you of even Western abstraction. So the fascination of Melehi and Flint for this kind of grassroots and unconscious vernacular modernity mainly comes from the painted ceilings. And you have to imagine that all of these photos are taken like this because these are images that eventually you can see only if you really reverse your neck and look at the ceiling, basically, or literally if you lie on the floor. So it's also a very much different relationship in terms of physical involvement of the body of the viewer within these very small mosques in which all the walls were white. They were only these super colorful and creative painted ceilings on the top, but the rest of the walls were entirely white. And these are some of the moments shared by Tony Maraini, Mohamed Melehi, and Bert Flint in fieldwork research, uh, sharing time with these craftsmen and women either, you know, through the high atlas or the great south of Morocco, where they were going at several instances. So they established also a relationship with those people in order to know them and to understand their artistic practices, either through the rugs or the jewels or the painted ceilings. And the 1968 exhibition that I referred to previously in the exhibition, you can see here the interaction between In murals, paintings, sculptures, and even kind of trompe l'oeil composition was very elaborated and very complex. Again, in the student 1968 exhibition, but also as a kind of epitome of all that research that was led and recorded in Maghreb Arp since 65 to 68, became exemplified and kind of exploded in the good sense of the word in this 1968 student exhibition, including all the artists I mentioned in our exhibition in St. Ives. And of course, the Jama Efna Square Plastic Presence exhibition that I also referred to previously, which you can see divided between the Casablanca Square in June and the Marrakesh Square in May 69, could also unfurl a whole debate on the reasons and the statement behind their manifesto of showing art in the streets in 1969 at a time where even more than 10 years after independence, the colonial situation was still prevailing from an artistic and cultural point of view. Of course, we all know that it's not in one day when a country becomes independent, that all the cultural and artistic life will be decolonized. We know that most of the time it took between 5, 10, 15 years since the moment of independence and the process of decolonizing culture. Uh, that's why the Jama Fna Square exhibitions 13 years after Morocco's independence and not right after. And again, there's a lot of room for debate based on the reports and the testimonies that the artists gave us through Souffle and Integral magazines about the hopes, but also the failures of this plastic presence. Manifesto exhibitions, for example, on the Jama'efna Square of Marrakech, with these metallic barriers and the metallic barriers' presence in themselves gave way to a lot of debate, even internally. Actually, there is a text in Integral where Melehi says that the exhibition, in its genuine connection to the people of the street, was maybe a failure, actually, because of these metallic barriers. But in a way, there's not a need for an objective or a final judgment about its efficiency, you could say it was both an achievement and a failure, because eventually there was a contact with the man of the street that never went to any museum or to any gallery, and to recreate the condition for connecting people to modern and contemporary, local modern and contemporary art, in spite of the absence of a modern art museum, of a modern art infrastructure, which didn't existed, And the only context for showing art were the galleries and the galleries were still very much Western driven and French minded and showing Moroccan artists as naive or folk painters when they used to show them even throughout the end of the fifties and throughout all the sixties. So the plastic presence concept either an achievement or a failure, also developed in other spaces. Like here, you can see the girls' high schools, two girls' high schools in Casablanca, where they also took their work to be hung in this kind of public space or directly linked to the youth of Morocco and to really multiply the occasions and the places where this concept of showing art outside and in public space can have an efficiency and find a good, provocative presence.
0: Thank you for listening to Maghreb and Past and Present Podcasts. Other episodes are available on our website, www.themagrebpodcast.com, as well as on iTunes and Podbean. For more information on our podcasts, visit our Facebook page, Magreb and Past and Present Podcasts. Subscribe to the SEMAT newsletter at www.sematmagreb.org, or visit the webpage of the American Institute for Magreb Studies. See you soon for a new episode.